Good morning, Village Park, all of our friends and family who are joining us this morning. We're so glad to have you with us today, and uh, we'd love to see you face-to-face. -face. I'd rather be speaking to you face-to-face -face than speaking through this camera, but just so glad that you've joined us today that we can gather together around the Word of God. And so I asked earlier when we, when we started the live stream, take a minute if you don't mind. I know you, you may not be all dolled up for, for church, but take a selfie with you and your family gathered together around the Word or take a picture of what you're looking at and post it in the comments. Uh, as we've done before, our approach to Sunday mornings has been to try to create as interactive an experience as we can. And so our staff and elders are sitting at their computers right now just ready to interact with you. If as I'm teaching this morning, if something speaks to your heart, you know, make a comment, say amen, do a hand raise, whatever your comment would be. We'd love to hear what God is doing in your life as well as I share with you from the Word of God. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open it. We want to be a people of the Word, especially in times like this, but all the time. Uh, we want to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. And also wanted to let you guys know we're using some new equipment this morning. We've tested it. We've run through it. Uh, we think everything is, is ready to go. But if something happens for some reason... Uh, something goes wrong and, and it shuts down. We've got a backup plan and we'll jump right back on. But anyway, have your Bible. Uh, if you have your Bible, open it up to Philippians chapter 1. Before the COVID-19 shutdown happened, my family and I had the incredible opportunity to go to the Grand Canyon. And it was kind of a bucket list item for me and we were really excited about it. And so we got there on the first day. And as you're walking up to the uh, to the Grand Canyon, uh, I'd heard this going into it, that if you put your head down as you're kind of walking forward and then you lift your head up right when you're on the edge it's really an awe-inspiring experience and so we went behind the visitor center we had gotten all of our information for what we wanted to see that day and we went up to this place called Mother Point and and we put our heads down and then as we walked up you know each step uh, we were getting closer and closer and we could hear people and then we looked up and we saw the Grand Canyon for the first time and I'm telling you it was just truly breathtaking it, it was really an, an amazing place uh, just the, the vastness and the size of it. And so we spent that whole day just going to all these different spots. And what was really unique about the Grand Canyon is wherever you were standing, if you would just turn a little bit to the left, you would see things from a completely different perspective. And when you would do that, you would see a new color. Or you'd see like a new nuance in the, in the scenery. It was just really amazing. And then on that first day, we had the opportunity to make our way down the west side of the south rim. And just point after point was just so magnificent. And then we saw the sunset and we saw the moon come up and it, it, it was just a completely different perspective. And we saw the, the Grand Canyon in a completely different way without the sunlight. I mean, it was just an amazing experience. So the next day we went back to go on the east side of the South Rim. And on that day uh, we, when we showed up, it was completely foggy. When you would stand on the points at, at Mother Point or wherever, you would stand there and the entire canyon was just filled with clouds. Couldn't see anything. It just It was... You know, and we were kind of disappointed, and so we, we went to these different spots that we had planned, but every time we got out, it was kind of the same view. And then right about 2.30 or 3 o'clock that afternoon, the clouds began to break up, and, and that change gave the Grand Canyon a completely different look. And, and I remember this one place we were, we were standing there looking at the desert view, and it looked like the, the clouds were rolling off the canyon walls, almost like waterfalls of clouds. It, it was really amazing, and so we stayed there, and, and just saw the, the beauty of God's creation. And then we went back at the end of the, the second day to Mother Point where we had started our tour of the Grand Canyon. We had our first glimpse of the canyon. And when we got there that day, it was sunset. And when we came up to that same point that we had been at before, the sun was shining directly on the walls of the canyon. 
And I'm telling you, man, it, it was just radiant. It was so incredibly beautiful. And so the change of the sunlight and, and even just standing in different places would change our perspective. And sometimes I think we need that in our lives. Sometimes we, we look at things a certain way and what we really need to do is just have a change of perspective. I was texting a good friend, Brad, a little this week, and I had actually invited him and his family to be a part of today and just checking on them and seeing how they were doing. And he texted back and I asked him for permission to share this. He said, it's interesting. It feels like this pandemic has reminded everyone that perhaps we have overscheduled our lives. Our children have really enjoyed having both parents focus on them. And when I read that text, it, it just really gripped my heart because I thought, yeah, that's been true. I mean, this pandemic and what we've been facing right now has caused all of us to kind of have a change of perspective. And today I hope that we'll all have that together. I want to I want to share with you a message of encouragement and hope today, but my prayer is that what I share with you today might help you have a change of perspective to see things differently. Because I what I've found is when we find ourselves in situations like this, we begin to ask you know, what is God doing? What's going on? And why aren't things happening the way that I think they should? And so in Philippians chapter one, where we, we've been studying in the book of Philippians now since last week, and I shared with you that Paul was under house arrest in Rome. And a lot of, there was a lot of uncertainty that he was facing, but he, he wrote something to these Philippian believers. And I want to just study it today. Philippians chapter one, let's begin in verse three. Paul writes to his friends, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always having in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I have to tell you, I have to confess, those who know me know I'm a pretty sentimental guy. And every time that I've studied this passage for the last few weeks, when I've read verse three and verse four, I've teared up. And the reason that I have is because this time of separation has caused me to miss all of you so terribly and so deeply. And I've been reminded of how important our relationships are with each other. And Paul, as he's writing this letter, has not seen these believers. Some historians believe and scholars believe that it had been about 10 years since he had seen them. But he says in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. And in verse 4, that he is praying for them. And I've been thinking about all the different friends and family my kids' teachers, the people that, my, my baseball team that I was coaching, all of these people that I've missed, but some of the people I've missed the most are the people in my church. And I wanna encourage you, whoever's joining us today, that if before this time you really haven't been connected to a church, I, I hope that you'll have a change of perspective about the church and the importance of that kind of relationship. Uh, I think that we should be connected to a body of believers so much so that when we're apart from each other, we long to be with each other as Paul expressed here. And, and I think that when we face times of difficulty, we often ask the question, what is going on? What is God doing? And maybe in the midst of all this, you've been asking that question yourself. What is God doing? Why has God allowed this to happen? And here's the perspective, of, the perspective that I want you to gain today that, that I find here in verse six. I want you to gain this perspective that God is always at work. I want you to just take a minute and let that sink in. The truth of that, that in the midst of all this madness and chaos and craziness and uncertainty, we can know for sure that God is always at work. One of the words that I've heard a lot of people use about where we are right now is the word uncertainty. 
we were talking and chatting this week with a mom and she was sharing about this is her daughter's senior year and just talking about all the different events that could be canceled because we don't know if school is going to uh, be brought back together through the end of the year and some people say yes it might and others people saying it definitely won't and so there's some uncertainty about that I, I think of my kids in Little League I was coaching a Little League team and the Astros and and uh, you know we were practicing we were getting ready for the season and the season was supposed to start the week that everything shut down and so there's some uncertainty from Little League about whether we were going to be able to have a baseball season for the kids this year there's been uncertainty about people losing their jobs some people have lost their jobs but other people don't know they don't know if things are going to turn around and so there we're all in this time of uncertainty and in those moments i think that's when we start asking like what is going on here what is god doing in the midst of all this and paul's life at this time as he's writing this letter was filled with uncertainty you'll find in 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 chapter 1 and verse 18 that he says yeah i think that i'm going to be delivered from this but later on he says i don't know i don't know if i'm going to be uh, released from this prison under house arrest. He didn't know that whether he would live or die. But I want you to listen again to verse 6 at what Paul said. In, in the midst of all that uncertainty, he said this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So in all of the uncertainty that Paul was facing, he writes this, I'm certain of this. And that is that God is at work. God is always at work. In fact, I want you to just take a, a moment on your phone or on your computer, whatever you're, you're watching on, and I want you to write that in the comments section as really a declaration, as you write it out to, to say in agreement what Paul says here and the truth that we know that God is always at work. So just write that out. God is always at work and remind yourself of that every moment of every day that God is always at work. The first thing we see in this passage is that God is always at work everywhere. Remember that Paul is writing this letter from Rome and he's writing it to the believers who are at Philippi, which is about 700 miles apart. They're about 700 miles apart from each other. And Paul had visited Philippi. His connection with these believers is actually found in the book of Acts and Acts chapter 16 on a second missionary journey. And when he went into Philippi, he found a woman named Lydia and he shared the gospel of Jesus. And Lydia became a believer as well as those of her house and a, and a Bible study, a church formed in their home. And in Philippi, Paul and Silas, his missionary partner, were arrested. And that's the whole story that we find in Acts chapter 16 when the Philippian jailer was converted and came to know Christ. But he was imprisoned for preaching about Jesus Christ and causing an uprising in the name of Jesus. But when he was released from prison through God's miracle, he spent a little bit of time fellowshipping with Lydia, but then he departed from there. And there's no indication that, that Paul had been back since that time. In fact, in verse 5, Paul mentions the fact that even though he wasn't with them in Philippi, he knew that God was still at work among them. Because many times the Philippian believers had reached out to him and helped him in his ministry and supported him. And, and what Paul knew, he knew that God is at work everywhere and at all times. So Paul is in a, under house arrest in Rome, but Paul knew that in Philippi, 700 miles away, God was still at work in their lives as well. God is at work in the midst of all this all around the world because God is always at work and he's always at work everywhere. I received word this week our Village Parks supports 
a group called Northeast India Baptist Missions and received this week from Jim Colon, who is the stateside uh, uh, leader for that ministry and also is a mentor to these young men who in India are spreading the good news of Jesus. And he was telling us this week about a group of five missionaries that had gone to some very remote villages in a place called Assam. And they were there to share the good news about Jesus. And while they were there, before they were able to return home, the government locked down the country and they couldn't return. All the roads were closed. And so they were stranded in a place with really no food, no shelter, no way to provide. And so Jim had gotten in contact with them and their response when he asked how they're doing was this, by the grace of God, we are still having food to fill our stomach. Thank you for always being mindful to pray for us. We praise God that we are free from any kind of worries and tensions. Now, here's some guys that are on the mission field in a very difficult place, not in a Christian nation, and they're serving Jesus and they're sharing the good news of Jesus. And all of a sudden there's this uncertainty. They can't get home. They don't know where their next meal is going to come from. They don't have access to their bank accounts. They don't have access to money and those kind of things. And yet, in the midst of that, God is working. You see, because God is always at work. And God is always at work everywhere. I looked up this week just some statistics to find out where's the fastest growing Christian population in the world. Do you know where it is? It's in Iran, Afghanistan, Gambia, Cambodia, and Greenland. The five fastest growing countries in terms of Christian conversions, not here in the United States, it's around the world. And that's because God is always at work. He is at work everywhere and at all times. I want you to know this, that God never takes a day off. God is not taking this season of the coronavirus off. It's not like God saying, you know what? I've been running the universe now for all these years. I'm just going to take some time, let them kind of go through this, but I'm taking, my, taking some time off as God. No, God is always at work and he is still at work in the midst of this season that we're in. God is still on the throne. On Friday morning, we shared with our uh, on our uh, church Facebook page with, in our Coffee and Conversations uh, dialogue that God has not vacated his throne in the midst of all this. None of this surprised God. God is still in control and God is still at work all around us. If you've been laid off, I want you to know that God is at work. If you've been able to keep your job, God is at work. If your work has slowed down, God is at work. If your work is so fast that you can't keep up right now, God is at work. If you've got friends who are under quarantine because they've been exposed to the coronavirus, I want you to know that God is at work. If someone that you know tests positive for COVID-19, God is still at work. God is always at work and he is at work everywhere. He is at work when things are really good and everything's going great. And God is at work when things are down and they couldn't get any lower it seems. He works on the mountaintop and he works in the valley. God is always at work. In John chapter five, Jesus healed a paralyzed man and some of the religious leaders had a problem with him doing that because they said he healed on the Sabbath day. And for them, he was breaking the law by doing that. And, and Jesus' response to them was this, up until this time, the father and I have been working. You see, the Jews had this idea that God created the, the world in six days and on the seventh day he rested. And so in their mind, no one could do anything on the seventh day that they were to rest. And that's what God's law required. And Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath day. And they said, you've broken the law. And Jesus said, up until this day, God the Father and God the Son have been working. Yes, in their creative work, they rested on the seventh day. But what Jesus was saying was this, that even on the Sabbath day, God is at work. 
that Jesus healed this man even on the Sabbath day because God is always at work. There is never a time when God is taking a Sabbath from his work as God. He's at work everywhere and at all times and he is at work all around you. So take a minute just for a moment. I want you to think about in this season of the coronavirus and we've been kind of cut off from, from our world and from each other. And think about this question. How have you seen God at work around you? How have you seen God at work in the midst of all this? And if God has revealed something to you that you've seen how God is at work around you, would you just take a minute in the comments, write out how you have seen God at work around you? Because God is always at work. He's always at work everywhere, all around the world. But I also want you to see that what Paul says in verse six, and that is that God is at work in you. In verse 6, Paul refers to the incredible work of salvation that God has done in his people. He says, I am sure of this one thing, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He begins by saying, he who has begun a good work in you. Salvation begins not with us, but with God. It's the work that he does inside of us. And this can only be said of those who have placed their faith in Jesus as Savior. The Bible is clear that all of us are sinners and that we have sinned before God. We have broken his law and his commands and that we needed someone to rescue us. The only way that we can have a relationship with God is that God has to do a work in us, his work of salvation in us. We don't start the work. We don't come up with the work. It is God's plan of salvation that is at work in our lives. And it's only for those who have believed in him. And Paul says that I'm certain that he who began the good work of salvation in you, at the end of verse six, he says he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That day of Jesus Christ is a reference to the future when we are in the presence of Jesus Christ, when he returns to receive us to himself, that we can forever be with the Lord. And from the moment that you place, you place your faith in Jesus Christ, God does that work of salvation in you, and he will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. God holds our salvation in his hands. He holds our lives in his hands, and he will continue to hold it until the day of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 8, one of my favorite passages that I've been reading a lot in the midst of all this, Romans chapter 8 describes our salvation. And Paul says some incredible things like, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. I mean, it's a beautiful passage. But in verse 18, Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. In other words, the suffering of this life, as bad as it may get, pales in comparison to the glory that we will experience at the day of Christ when we see him and we spend our eternity with God. He goes on to say in verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And I feel that. I feel like there's so much hurt and pain and heartache. And we see that in a very real way with what we're going through right now. But he says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. What is Paul saying? 
He's saying simply this, that the suffering of this present age will pale in comparison to when God finishes his work in us and he brings us to himself and we are freed from this creation and the struggle that we find ourselves in on this earth that has been terribly affected by sin. And Paul says the spirit that's in us is the first fruits of God. And what God is saying is it's like he's the earnest money for our redemption. The Holy Spirit that lives inside of every single person, every single person who's a believer in Christ, who's placed their faith in Christ, he is the guarantee of our salvation, that God is going to finish the work that he has started in us. And Paul says in verse 6, this is not uncertain. You can be sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And Paul continues in verse 7 of Philippians chapter 1. I want you to read with me. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers of me with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in all defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul is praying for them and he's, he's reminding them of how deeply he loves them and he says in verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about you. He knows for certain that the work that God has started in them will continue to work until the day of Jesus Christ. And he continues in verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and, to, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the, first, excuse me, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. So not only is God always at work everywhere and all around you, God is at work in you. Today, God is working in you. And as believers in Jesus Christ, Paul says that God is at work in two ways inside of you. First, God is at work in you to help you love with a sincere love. So we've been under lockdown as well with our family. We've been here at the house. And so my kids throughout the day, I'm coming into the kitchen, kind of see what's going on. And, and I came in the other day and I saw one of my kids pouring uh, a drink and they poured it uh, all the way to the top, but then it was, it was soda. And so the fizz came up and it spilled over to the side. And I said, what did you do? What happened? And he said, well, I think I put too much in there. I said, yeah, I think so. And that word abound that Paul uses in this passage, when he says in verse 9, my prayer is that your love may abound, it's that idea of overflowing. The idea is Paul is praying that I pray that God will put so much love in you that it will be overflowing, but not empty love, not foolish love. Notice what he says in verse 9, in knowledge and in discernment. The knowledge is a reference to the word of God that we should love in the truth of how God says we should love in his word. For example, we're not going to love evil. That's not the kind of love that God has called us to love with and to be abounding in. But he also says in discernment, knowing right and wrong. Some people have asked, you know, what should we do? We feel so, so cut off. Should we break away, excuse me, should we break our stay at home orders to love our neighbors in some way? And it's a great question to wrestle with. I think that we should be wise, but what the prayer that Paul prayed for these Philippian believers is that their love would be overflowing. And it reminds me of the story of the Good Samaritan when, 
when uh, someone came to Jesus and asked what the greatest commandments are, and he said to love God and to love people with all that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. And the man asked, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus told the story of a man who was uh, going down the road and he fell among thieves and they beat him up and left him for dead. And a priest and a Levite passed by on the other side and didn't do anything. But a Samaritan came and he bandaged his wounds and he wrapped him up and poured oil on the wounds and then put him on his, on his animal and took him to a hotel or to an inn and paid the fare. And he told the innkeeper, whatever the expenses are, I will, keep, I will take care of it. And then Jesus asked the question, he said, who is the neighbor to this man? In other words, who's the one who has loved him in the same way that, that Jesus commanded us to love, to love our neighbors as ourselves? ourselves and of course the answer is it's the Samaritan who gave of himself for the good of other people that's the kind of love that we should be abounding in in our lives right now John chapter 3 and verse 16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life the love of God for us abounded it overflowed to the point that God made a way for us to be rescued from our sin and he gave Jesus, and Jesus on the cross died for us, not for his sin, he died for ours, so that we could have a relationship with God. And that's the kind of love that God has called us to love other people with. It's a sacrificial, selfless love that God has called us to love with. I was so encouraged this week, I got a phone call from a member of our church. Every year at our church, uh, we do a camp bake sale to help raise money for kids that are going to summer camp. And our Camp Bake Sale had been planned for March 22nd, and of course everything closed down, and there's still a lot of uncertainty about what camps are gonna look like this year. But this member of our church called and he said, look, I know that I know there's gonna be a lot of families affected by this. I know that uh, it may be difficult to be able to raise the money that we need for camp. And my, my wife and I have been thinking about this and we've been praying about it. And we would like to give a donation toward camp, a matching donation, dollar for dollar, up to $6,500 because we had set a goal for $13,000 to help kids go to camp. And I was just overwhelmed by someone that would love other people so much that they would give so generously and sacrificially of, our, of themselves. Because there are moments in our lives, I think, that we realize that our love has lists. What I mean by that is we kind of pick and choose the people that, that we love. But when we come into the presence of God and we see Jesus on the cross, dying for the sins of the world, dying for the very people who had driven the nails into his hands on the cross. Jesus prayed for them, Father, forgive them. That's the same kind of love that we should have for other people. That's the love that we should be abounding in, that should be overflowing in our lives for the good of other people. And so Paul reminds them, God is at work in you to produce in you a love that cannot be explained a love that loves according to truth, a love that, that loves the good and the right, a love that abounds to help other people. And that's what God is working in us to pr produce, to love with a sincere love. I want you to just take a minute and, and ask yourself, do I love as Jesus loved? Should I give of myself for the good of other people? Should I put myself at risk so that other people might live? so that they might experience the love of Jesus Christ. Would you just take a minute and in the comments, just comment with a prayer, just a simple prayer asking God to help you love with an overflowing, abounding, sincere love
for other people. Because God is at work in you to produce a sincere love for people. But God is also at work in you to help you live a sincere life. A life that is rooted in truth. Notice what Paul says in verse 10, that you may approve what is excellent, that your life might attest to what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. God is at work in us right now to live lives of integrity, live out a genuine love for other people, and by doing that, we prove what is good and right. The work that God is doing in you would be sincere and be evident to those who are around you. I've often said that when times are dark, that's the greatest time for the light to shine. I was reading this week in 1527 when the bubonic plague had hit Wittenberg that Martin Luther refused the calls of city officials to flee the city and protect himself. And rather, he stayed and ministered graciously to the sick. And his refusal to leave the city cost his daughter Elizabeth her life. And from that, people questioned him. Why would you stay behind and put your family at risk for the good of other people? Why would you allow your daughter to get sick and die just so that you could care for the needy? And from that, Martin Luther wrote a tract called Whether Christians Should, Should Flee the Plague. And in that, Luther provides a clear articulation of what our response should be as Christians during the epidemic, that we should be willing to die at our posts. Christian doctors cannot abandon their hospitals and patients. Christian governors cannot flee their districts. Christian pastors cannot abandon their congregations. We can't abandon our neighbors. We have to love them. That doesn't mean that we have to be unwise. We have to be wise and take precautions. But this pandemic that we're under right now does not dissolve our duties. In fact, Luther went on to say that it turns them to crosses on which we must be prepared to die. That's what a sincere life that is loving other people looks like that it is willing to die to self for the good of other people. God is always at work. He is at, always at work everywhere, but he is also at work in you. And I asked you earlier to just comment as we're going along about how you've seen God at work uh, in the midst of all this, but how have you seen God at work in you? What has God been revealing in your heart? Would you take a minute just to comment? What, what has God been showing you about yourself? What has God been showing you about the way that you love other people? What is God showing you in you that's good, but also those areas where you're lacking? And maybe we could come alongside you and pray with you in the midst of all that. But notice in verse 12, Paul says that God is at work in another place. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, his imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel or the good news that Jesus has died as the savior of the world. That's what the word gospel means. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. These are people that were not believers. And Paul is saying, my imprisonment, what has happened to me right now, has actually worked and served to advance the good news about Jesus. Verse 14, and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear now some he says indeed preach christ from envy and rivalry but others from goodwill and the latter do it out of love knowing that i am put here for the defense of the gospel the former proclaimed christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment what then only that in every way whether in pretense or in truth christ is proclaimed and in that i rejoice 
What Paul is saying is simply this. What has happened to me, my suffering right now, has been used by God so that the good news about Jesus would go forward. And I think this is the perspective that we all need during this time. I think this is the perspective that perhaps more than anything else, we need to change the most. And that is that God is at work in the world. He's at work everywhere. He's at work in us. But he is also at work in others. It's not about me. Four words that I believe can change your life. It's not about me. In fact, I want you to say that with me. It's not about me. One of my mentors in the ministry, Kim Beckham and his church, Central Baptist Church in Tyler, their vision statement is really one word, and the word is others. And their tagline is this, when it's not about us, others can know Jesus. What Paul knew in his imprisonment, that his imprisonment and what he was going through, it was not about him, but it was about others coming to know Jesus. He says the gospel is going forth, and now the Roman imperial guard even they know that what's happening to me is happening for the sake of the gospel. And also my brothers, my fellow believers who have heard about my imprisonment, they know that what's going on is about the furtherance of the gospel. Verse 13, unbelievers are seeing it. Verse 14, believers are, believers are seeing it. And so now they're sharing the word without fear. So in these times of uncertainty, many of us ask why. That's a question that we often ask. Why is there suffering? Why did I lose my job? Why is this pandemic happening right now? We might phrase it this way. What is God doing? Why does God allow these difficult times and uncertainty in our lives? And I think that that's the wrong question. Because we may not ever fully understand all the whys. But begin to ask two different questions. The first one is the question what? And the second one is the question how what is God doing God is working he's always at work and his work is ultimately to bring people to himself second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says that God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance so when we ask the question what not what is God doing it's God what are you doing in my life to bring others to know Jesus. Because there are going to be people that are watching you in this time of uncertainty. Do you have faith? Are you filled with peace? Are you fearful? Are you calm? Are you panicking like so many that we see? Begin to ask the question, God, what are you doing in my life right now to bring others into a relationship with Jesus? What Paul said is that at the end of this, that he rejoices that Christ is preached. So yes, Paul says, I would rather be imprisoned if that is going to further the good news getting to other people who need hope. And, and if we can do that, if we can have that change of perspective, then we can say as Paul did, we can rejoice that Christ is preached even if we have to suffer. And then ask the question, how? God, how can you use me to bring others to you? So what is God doing? That's the question that I told you I want to answer today. Well, God is at work. He's at work everywhere. And I want to encourage you to join him in his work. To love people as Jesus loved. To encourage people who need hope. To share with them the life-changing truth of who Jesus is and what he's doing in your life. Because he is at work in you. 
He has started the work of salvation if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and he will bring it to pass at the day of Christ. But he might also be at work in you to produce a sincere love and concern for other people that, that might bring them into a saving relationship with God. Because not only is God at work everywhere generally, and not only is he at work in you, but he is at work in others. And he wants the good news of Jesus to be proclaimed to them. So maybe this morning, in the midst of all this, the change of perspective that you need to say is this, that God is not taking this time off, that God is at work. And maybe today, God is drawing you to himself. I want to end by just reading a couple of scriptures and making a few more comments. Verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance. He says, in other words, because you've been praying, I have confidence that I'm going to get out of house arrest. Verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. But listen to this perspective in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is, is gain. Can you say that as Paul did? I want you to take verse 21 for a minute. And I want you to think about what you'd really put in the place of the words Christ and gain. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What would you put in the place of Christ and gain there? Some people would say, well, for me to live is my family. And if that's what your life is about, then to die is to lose that. Paul says, for me to live, or some people say, well, for me to live is work, but if that's what your life is about, then to die is to lose it and to leave it all behind. Some people say, well, for me to live is success and to have a successful life, but then to die, if that's your life's purpose, is to leave it all here. And maybe this is the new perspective that we all need today, that our lives are to be given completely to Christ. So that we can say as Paul did, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Without Christ, to live is to live for the here and now. And to die is a loss. But for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To give your life to Christ is to win both in life and in death. That no matter what you face in this life, to live is Christ, but to die is to gain Christ and that earnest inheritance that we have in him. I want you to take a moment to, in the comments, type out Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And ask yourself the question, can I really say that? Has there been a point in your life where you and your heart have placed your faith in the finished work of Christ and given your life to Christ so that you can say as Paul did, for me to live is Christ. Christ is everything to me so that dying is simply gain. I have to tell you, I, I don't want to die today. I love my family. I, I love what I do. I love what God has enabled me to do. But I'm telling you, I'm not fearful of death. For me to live as Christ and all the fulfillment that I have in Christ, to love as he loved and to raise my children as he's called me to and, and, and to love my wife and be a godly husband, those are all things that, that I love and they're precious gifts from God. For me to live as Christ but also to die is game. 
I long in my heart for the final salvation of God. When those who are in Christ are taken, I look forward to that day of Jesus Christ that Paul referenced earlier in chapter 1. But I also long deeply for the salvation of those who are not in Him. I pray that today, if you have never placed your faith in Christ as your Savior, that right where you're sitting, on your couch, at your dining room table, wherever you are, give up on everything else that you've been counting on and, and put your faith completely in what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross and give your life to Him and say with Paul, for me to live is Christ. And whether God wants to glorify me in life or in my death, I want God to be glorified and Christ to be preached and hope to reach other people. So maybe today God is drawing you to himself. I, I said when I was standing at the Grand Canyon, I, in my own mind, I just, I just wish everyone could see this. It's such a, a magnificent sight to see it. And I feel like that this morning. What I want you to see is the truth from God's word. And it's this, what is God doing? Well, God is always at work. He's at work around you. He's at work in you. He's at work in others. But he is always working to draw people to himself. He is at work in you to help you live a sincere life of loving other people sacrificially and selflessly as Jesus did for us on the cross. So what is God doing? I can tell you that God is working. God is always at work. And my encouragement to you today would be to see where God is working and simply join him. Reach out to those who have no hope and share the message of Jesus with them. Share with them the hope and the peace that you have in Jesus Christ. And maybe today God is drawing you to himself. Maybe the message of the good news of Jesus is drawing you to himself. I want to encourage you, simply open your heart to Jesus. Give your life to Christ. Place your faith in what Jesus did for you on the cross and begin to live the life that Christ calls us to live. To live as Christ and to die as gain. I want to just pray that over us this morning. And then after the prayer, I want to share with you some exciting things coming. But will you just join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the truth that to live as Christ and to die is gain. I pray that that truth would reach the hearts of everyone who's listening today and engaging in this message. Lord, we thank you for what Jesus did for us on the cross and the hope that we have in him. I thank you, Lord, that that when we place our faith in Christ, that, that Christ, his spirit comes and lives inside of us and he will finish the work in us at the day of Jesus Christ. And we long for that day when we see Jesus face to face. But in that in-between, from now until that time, I pray that you will help us, Lord, to live a sincere life that loves other people, reaches out to them and shares the hope of Jesus Christ with them. So Lord, every person that's been listening today, I pray that you would speak to their hearts the things that they need to hear. For those that you're drawing to yourself, those who have never put their faith in Jesus as Savior, I pray that this message today might share the truth with them so that today they could believe what Jesus did on the cross for them is enough to pay for their sins. And today would be the day of their salvation. Help us to love as Christ loved and to live as you have called us to live. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.